Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Neil. I'm part of the leadership team here at King's. If you didn't hear that bit, so anyway, it's great, great to have you here. Um, as Ron said, we're starting a new series. It's a five-week series uh, to run us today and through the end of August called A Meal with Jesus. Um, Luke's gospel has many occasions of meals with Jesus. In fact, one writer actually concludes that Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So he, that's it. And, and, and another writer says there's so many references, not just to meals, but food in Luke's gospel. So I guess he's a bit of a foodie. Anyway, so um, we're going to begin at Luke chapter 5, 27. So dive in there. If you have that, that would be very helpful. Luke 5, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These meals that Jesus has, they don't go on in a corner. This is not unnoticed. Meals, you know, would be quite public, to be honest. And because of them, Jesus offends the deeply religious people of the day, which would be known as the Pharisees. On one occasion, in response to the Pharisees, the, uh, Jesus says this, the, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You'll find if you go to Luke's gospel, in Luke 15, just prior to Jesus talking about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, it starts, Luke writes this, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So meals in Jesus' day were just loaded with significance. So, so let me not, please don't underestimate this. Meals were loaded with significance in Jesus' day. And Mediterranean food, do you know, it has, it has, a, it has a rich history. It has a rich history. Uh, Des and I were out there recently, and we were in Cyprus uh, with Des's sister and her husband, Des's uh, sister's husband called Jeff, and uh, they couldn't wait to take us to this restaurant. And um, if the picture would just come up now, you'll see. If you don't like fish, turn away, if that's not good for you. But this is a platter and a half. Well, yes, I mean, he is a happy man. Jeff is a very happy man with this in front of him. He likes this restaurant. And I have to admit, I did too. 
great restaurant. And that, by the way, is a platter for four. But you can't see all the other food that's around the table either. This is uh, Mediterranean food. In first century Mediterranean, it fellowship, table fellowship, was a rich symbolism of friendship and intimacy and unity. I mean, that's what it was about. To be at the table meant you belonged. The problem here, in this meal, the problem was not the party. The problem is the guest list. That was the problem. I mean, the Jews knew how to celebrate. I mean, they knew how to celebrate. Don't get me wrong. They could celebrate. I mean, they could, they could feast. They could probably do this better than you and I. They really knew how to do it. But the important matter was not what was on the table, but who was round the table. That was the key question. Not on the table, who's round the table. So this is the issue of this meal. And Jesus, he just messed up the system. He messed up the social strata time and time and time again. Meals, they were so significant. I just want to bring out three points today. One is this, Jesus initiates, Jesus invites, and Jesus includes. It's quite simple, initiates, invites, includes. That's what he does. So first of all, he initiates. He makes the first move. God always does this. Sometimes you might think you did, but you didn't. He always made the first move. He always drew you. He was always after you. If God waited for us to make the first move, it would never happen, my friends. Absolutely never happen. Jesus sees this man, Levi. In that day, no self-respecting person would give Levi a second glance. Actually, they probably wouldn't give a first one either. I mean, he is, he is bottom of the social pile. I mean, I really mean that. You can't get any further down than this man. I think a terminology of our day would be scumbag. We classify this as a scumbag. This, you, he's the smell on the bottom of his shoe of something that you've stepped in and everybody's going, who's that? Who's that? That's Levi. I mean, being a tax collector, I believe it can be unpopular in any era. I'm not going to ask you if you are a tax collector here, uh, work for the Inland Revenue. Good for you if you do. But it's, it can be unpopular in any era. But at that time, in Jesus' day, my friend, if you were a tax collector, you were utterly despised. Israel was an occupied land. It was occupied by the Romans. Tax collectors were collecting for the enemies. They were collecting from the enemies. Therefore, they were seen as collaborators and traitors. Traitors to their nation. And therefore, if you're a traitor to the nation, and this nation is the people of God, you are, of course, a traitor to God. Why would you have anything to do with this sort of person? No Jewish child would ever say, hey, mom, do you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a tax collector. Don't do that, son. Don't. He wouldn't dream of this. If he did dream, it would be a nightmare to be a tax collector. His parents, you know, they would have had high hopes 
Look at the name. <laughs> Levi. The boy, they called him Levi. It's a rich, immense Jewish heritage just in that name. It's the priestly line came from the name Levi. I don't know how long this has been going on for, but this is not how he envisaged his life. He never saw himself like this. He's reduced to this, and he's lost all his self-respect. And that's tough. You think that's tough for him, but I don't even know if his family owned him anymore. I'm trying to paint the picture because the, for the first, the first unusual occurrence of that day for Levi was that somebody stopped at the table and looked at him. Somebody actually looked at him. Jesus always makes the first move, my friends. He always initiates. This is God's way. You'll find this right the way through the Gospels. He will reach to the people that no one else will reach to. In John's Gospel, there's the story of the woman at the well, a Samaritan lady. And um, Jesus' disciples have left him. They've gone off to find some food. And he's at this well. And this Samaritan lady comes to the well midday. It's the time when nobody comes because of the heat of the day. She's not with any friends. Her, her, her history is morally dubious to say the least. And, and Jesus engages in conversation. And as soon as he does, she says, she says, you Jews do not mix with us Samaritans. She says that. In other words, what are you doing talking to me? You don't mix with people like us. Jesus always initiates. At the end of the conversation, she's gone back into town, left her uh, water jar there, and said to the people, come, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? Is this the man, the Messiah? Jesus initiates. He always starts it. And he stops at Levi's table. Now, continuing the background here, the, the view of the day was that for, for Levi, I know he's bottom of the pile, but it's more than that. He's too far gone. He's too far gone. He's worthless. He's despised. But the, he is beyond hope. There is no hope for this man as far as they were concerned. It's interesting. I, uh, in a number of conversations that I've had with people who don't go to church... And, um, and they were engaged in conversation about Christianity and the church. And the most frequent position that people say is, uh, I've heard it many, many times, irrespective of a person's occupation. They say, well, actually, you know, I'm not good enough to go to church. I don't know how many times you might have heard that, but I have heard that so many times. I'm not good enough to go to church. You know what that implies, doesn't it? It implies that behavior comes first. That before you belong, you must behave. Before you believe, you must behave. That's the implication of it. I mean, just think it through, my friends. It's a, it's a big thing. Going to church, believing God, is perceived as a behavioral matter. I know for some that can be an excuse, but it, there is some real truth in it. Jesus blew this view out the water. 
time and time again. You don't have to impress God with you. If you do that, don't bother. Don't bother. It's, a, it's just a road to ruin. Jesus is always leaning towards you, not away from you. Always leaning towards you. He comes alongside. Doesn't walk on the other side. He's the one who comes alongside. Um, when I first became a Christian, first became a Christian um, many, many, many years ago, you can see that by the color of my hair and other things. So, I first became a Christian, and after about um, six to nine months, I just fell away. I just fell away from this walk with God. I didn't disbelieve. I just stopped walking with him. And, um, you know, your, your best day out of the will of God is it's just never as good as your worst day in the will of God. It's never as good. It's never as good as your worst day in the will of God. God is so, it's just so different being in the presence and kindness of God and being in step with him. It is just so different. Anyway, I fell away for years. And uh, I, when I, coming back to the Lord, I felt this, I, um, I felt obligated to get my life right. Because he'd already done it once. So why should he do it again? So I felt this obligation, get your life right and then go to church. You know, do the behavior stuff, then go to church. And it'll be easier for God and everybody else. Do that. that I, I just didn't get grace or whatever. And um, so, but I, I couldn't. I had this chaotic, broken life, and I couldn't get it in order. It was just impossible. I said to Des when we moved to Liverpool to Red Hill, when we moved to Red Hill, darling, I'm going to change. You know, the people I know here in Liverpool, I won't know in Red Hill. It'll be fine. Our circumstances will change. My job will change. Everything will change. I will change. But the problem with that was I took me with me. You see, so I went from Liverpool to Red Hill, and still I'm popping up. I'm the, I'm the problem here. And I found it impossible. And in her kindness, Des, my wife, who, is, who was not a Christian at that time, takes me to church. She takes me to church. We go to this Baptist church in Red Hill. And at the end of the service, two ladies pop up in front of us and said, do you remember us? I thought, wow. I did. I did all those miles away. They had been at the Christian Union at the college that we were at. And they remembered me. And they said, we have never stopped praying for you. And I even... even even now, I just moved by their kindness and the fact that they never stopped praying for me all that time. You know what? Jesus is always leaning towards you, never away from you. It doesn't matter where you've been or whatever you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done, but he is always leaning towards you. It's just the grace of God. We were amazed. This is the relentless Love of God, my friends, is utterly reckless in his pursuit of you. And what's more, he still is. Please get that. He still is. You know, some people do shocking just for the sake of it. They just like to shock people. Jesus isn't doing that here, but it is shocking. I mean, it's scandalous that he picks this man out and invites him to be one of the followers 
of him. It's just, um, it is unbelievable in their eyes. It's a massive signal. No one, not one, is too far from the love, grace, power of God. Not one. Do you know, it would have been a cultural and social earthquake for Jesus to invite a tax collector, and that's exactly what he does. An enemy of God. Who is this person, Jesus, that he does this? Follow me, he says. He does the initiation, but he, he does the invitation. It's not at arm's length. There's no third party involved. It's personal, a personal invitation. It's God calling, Levi, Levi, come on, follow me, follow me. He doesn't do that without eye contact. He looks at him, of course he looks at him. Come on, follow me. I got a better life for you. Come on, follow me. Jesus interrupted Levi's life. Here's just a question. (laughs) Can he still interrupt yours? Can he still interrupt yours? You know, sometimes we just get in cruise control and actually we just disengage. Sometimes our relationship is like a, a distant marriage. It's in existence, but it lacks all the closeness. Behavior previously unacceptable has now become tolerated. Can Jesus interrupt your life now? It's a really good question, isn't it? It's a good question because it got me thinking. And, and what's, you know what he does? You know how he interrupts it? Just so personal. And he's so invitational. Come on. Follow me. I, I also wonder in, in this episode of what did the disciples think? What did the disciples think? This is their friendship group. Nobody asked them who was going to invite this sort of person into their group. This is my small group. And you've invited him into it. How could you do that? If you'd invited a Pharisee, that might have been different. We'd have had street cred then. You know, if we'd invited a Pharisee, that would have been brilliant. The bridge into the whole of Israel, it would have been massive. But you invite him. Him. I can't believe you did this. That's massive. It's huge, this. This is why Jesus invites people that you wouldn't. Have you noticed that? And, and he invites people that you wouldn't. That's how we got into the kingdom. <laughs> That's how we got in there. He invites this man. And they're probably thinking, goodness me, you know, when, when Ron calls us to pray in twos, who's going to pray with him? I don't want to pray with him. Can you imagine it? Small groups. And furthermore, this is, do you know what? Wherever we go, he goes. Oh my goodness. It gets even worse than that. So Levi holds a great banquet. He holds this great banquet. If the invitation to follow me is a signal, this seals the deal. This absolutely does it. Remember, it's not what's on the table that matters. It's who's round the table. The central question in Jesus' day is, with whom can I eat? With whom can I eat? Who is acceptable? Who is acceptable and okay in my strata to eat with? 
That's the central question. It spoke of acceptance, fellowship, friendship, belonging. And verse 29, look at verse 29. It goes, uh, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd, just notice that, can you? A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. This is Levi's crowd. The Pharisees complain uh, that Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and notice the word sinners. That's what they say. But Luke, Luke has been refreshed in his thinking and talks about tax collectors and others. That's a gracious way of putting it, isn't it? But they say sinners. These are, they are the bottom of the pile people. Not that bottom, but there. They're, they're, they're excluded. They're the excommunicated ones. They're not allowed in synagogues. They're barred from them. They're the unwanted, the unwashed of the day. Do you know it's said that at the temple, the closest a Jewish tax collector could get would be in the courts of the Gentiles. In other words, you do not belong, you are not wanted. It's just another public sign you didn't belong. Every part of social life made the signal they did not belong. They were off limits. I don't know how you think that feels. I don't think that feels. It's just to be treated like that. It was not day after day or week after week. I mean, this is it. It's set in stone. There is no way back. That's it. You're done. This is the rest of your life. And then um, I heard about some African pastors who were um, caught up in the civil war, war in Congo and they were dreadfully tortured. Beatings, starvation, electrocution of their genitals, mutilation. And they said that the deeper wounds were relational. Torture sent the message that they were worthless, repulsive, utter filth. They found God's presence was with them there, right there in their dark times. His powerful presence helped them heal deep, deep, deep relational wounds. Wounds that went way beyond the physical ones. You know, you can suffer greatly without physical pain. You can know great betrayal. You can know utter abandonment and loss. It runs incredibly deep. How deep do you think this stuff went with Levi and these people? How deep? And then, he's had history, he's had years of this. And then, he invites Jesus to the table. It's great. It's just amazing. Jesus comes to his table. What I find interesting about this is that, um, you know, all the religious leaders and teachers of the law all came to see Jesus. And some of them invited him for a meal at their place. Ron will talk about that next week, I believe. And he comes and sits where they have never sat. And they never would sit. And he sits around this table, a large crowd. Boy, is this public. And uh, the message, 
of this meal. It's, it's really interesting here. Jesus doesn't invite Levi back to, Jesus and his disciples don't invite Levi back to have a meal with them and separate them. Levi is so overwhelmed with the love and grace of God that he does everything that is natural to him. Come and have, a, come and have, a, come and have some food with me and my mates. And boy, does he have mates. He has mates. <laughs> I mean, this you'll find, look, running through the Gospels, this is their problem. Who Jesus is eating with, time and again, massive implications. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Purpose. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Purpose. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Method. What a way to do this. This is the basic level, right where everybody's at. Everybody does the eating. Everybody does the drinking. Does he come with an army of angels? No. Does he come in a blaze of glory? No. How does he come? Eating and drinking. It's the simplicity of it all. It's right where everybody's at. It's a revolution here going on around the table. Doing lunch was doing theology. Who was at the table spoke volumes. My friends, Jesus is more into rescue than he is into religion. So he initiates, he invites, he includes. So finally he includes tax collectors and sinners. You know, all the excluded are now included. I like that. So anyone here, are you thinking, do you know what? I'm just too far from the grace of God? Wrong. If you ever thought that, wrong. You can't be. This is what all the excluded are included. Don't you go excluding yourself. Jesus hasn't done that. All the excluded are included and they come as they are he's not expecting us to come any other way Levi invites all his friends he doesn't have any others this is it Jesus is at home with these people he's like a magnet for lost people just love it I love the way Jesus does this Jesus comes for losers people on the margins those who've made a mess of their lives ordinary people You know, that's why our mission is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus, change the world. How does he do it? Do you know, it's eating and drinking. I know it's more profound than that, but I do, do you understand the simplicity of it? It's amazing. It's wonderfully inclusive. I look out of this church and um, it's full of us messy people. Let me just say this again. It's full of us messy people. We know, with messy lives. It's ridiculous, this grace of God. Look at us all. It's ridiculous, this grace of God. He throws us all together and he goes, this is my family and I'm proud of it. You love that? This is my family. It's wonderful. Jesus is so at ease with these people. You Church, we are, we are a rich, we have a rich ingredient of diversity it's, it's a powerful sight for people who are visitors. Do you know they come here 
and they look and they can't believe the diversity of culture, nationality, backgrounds. They, it's either, if I was given a pound for every person who was a visitor here and said, I can't believe the diversity, I mean, the, the amazing diversity of this church, I'd be a rich man. So many people notice it. Isaiah, you know, speaks of a banquet that includes all peoples, all nations. The Jews lost the guest list, but Jesus included everyone, included them all. Hallelujah. So, he opened the door to all people. So, church, let's make the best of it. Let's make the most of it. So, here's the practical implication of today. I want to encourage you, over the summer months, to invite people for a meal. I want you to do that. Invite people over for a meal. Uh, Those in the church and those outside the church. We're going to do this series in the autumn called Coming Home. Bridge into your friends and neighbors. When was the last time you had the neighbors around for a meal or whatever? Bridge into your friends and neighbors and and make bridges. It's nothing like a meal which says somebody is important and valued. Both outside and inside the church. We can do this inside the church too. I want us to do it. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's not complicated. But hang on a sec, just a bit. I'm not saying it's easy. It involves people invading your space. Or going for you going to places that you're unsure of. Our natural tendency, eating and drinking, is to gravitate to people who are like us. It's to insulate ourselves with people who we perceive are the same as us. The older we get, do you know what? The more insulated we become. I'm not having a pitch, I'm just saying. The older we get, the more insulated we become. How many people in your circle of influence think, act, vote? And are culturally different from you. Who's the Levi in your circle of influence? Just a question. Eating and drinking. It's not complicated. It's not always easy. Do I take my shoes off? Do I keep them on? Do I ask them if they would like alcohol or will they be offended? How do I do this? Do, do, do they do a three-course meal? If you're coming to us, forget it. We don't. Do they have tomato ketchup? Do, listen, I know somebody who had tomato ketchup every meal. Every meal had tomato ketchup. My goodness, every meal, tomato ketchup. Can you, make sure you have tomato ketchup. You might have them. So, okay, so I'm just... I'm not saying it's easy, but it's good, and it's hospitality, and we should be doing that inside, outside the church. You know, we haven't got small groups for a couple of months. You may be doing them informally. All I'm saying is, take the moment. Let's invite people around. You may not do a meal. We'll invite people around for drinks and snacks, whatever it is, but let's, let's invite people. Let me leave you with this question. 
Who's coming to your table? Who's coming to your table? Bless you. Thank you very much. God bless.